Taxpayer Alert. I'm Al Sagala, I'll be a moderator. I'm also president of the Calaveras County Taxpayer Association. And this is going to be a very interesting show. Uh, we have with us uh, <clears throat> Scott Kaufman, who's the legislative uh, director for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association. Now, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association has been a real friend to the taxpayer in California. Welcome, Scott. Thank you for having me. Uh, tell, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, well, I'm, I'm new. Uh, hello, uh, I'm Scott Kaufman. I'm Legislative Director of Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association, as Al mentioned. Uh, I'm fairly new to the job. I started in August. Uh, replaced our, our previous Legislative Director, had been with us for 13 years, but uh, before this, I was in the newspaper business, actually. I, I worked for the Orange County Register for a number of years. I was on their opinion board, and we held similar views to the Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association on, on taxpayer issues, and uh, we had worked with them uh, on their columns and those sorts of things. John has published every, uh, John Kapal, our president, has published uh, every week in the Orange County Register. And so uh, when they were looking for, uh, for a new legislative director, they reached out to me. And I said yes, and it's been a tremendous pleasure working for the taxpayer in Sacramento. It, it can be a lonely job being the, being the taxpayer advocate in Sacramento, but uh, I take great pleasure in it, and um, I know we're doing everything we can for everybody, in it, and it's a, it's a good feeling. Well, I guess the secret is to try to convince the other side that there's joy in, in freedom. And if they get that idea, we may develop, develop some friends and start turning the tide a little bit. I think that uh, the other way to approach it is adversarial. Of course, you have to do that if, if they're going to pass a law that's going to violate your rights. But other than that, there should be uh, ways that we can communicate better and then improve our odds of having a free society in the future. Well, now we, there's a number of things that uh, that uh, Howard Jarvis is doing, and one of the things is some of the failed bad bills that uh, that have happened this last year, which is good news for us. Mm -hmm. And tell us a little about that. Yeah, I know that probably the taxpayer alert is probably uh, often kind of uh, a little depressing with all with all the tax bills going through Sacramento. But but this year I'm actually happy to report that things have gone fairly well for us. Um, you know, uh, Governor Newsom late last year promised uh, that, that he wouldn't sign uh, uh, tax bills like we'd seen in the previous session, you know, uh, these, these hikes on the income tax, the corporate tax, those sorts of things. And, and I naturally, probably like you, took that with a grain of salt. I'd believe it when I saw it. You know, uh, I wasn't surprised that he said this at the same time endorsing Prop 15, you know, the split roll tax hike. So right. it was a believe when I see it. But, uh, but so far, uh, it seems like the legislature has gotten the message. There's been a number of bills. Um, AB 65 was uh, a basic income proposal that would have, that would have uh, done a basic income and, and raised taxes to achieve that. Uh, there was AB 71 that would have raised the corporate tax. Um, there was another bill, and I, I'm blanking on the number, but it would have raised our already highest in the nation income tax rate even higher. We don't know a number either. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I'm blanking on the number. It's, it's another assembly bill, but uh, it, it, it failed to even get a hearing in a committee, so it died very quickly. But uh, these are all good. The single-payer health care proposal, which would have had to double the state budget and the taxes along with it, that failed to get out of a committee. 
um, another bill that would have uh, prevented corporations from donating to campaigns, but still allow unions to donate, of course. Yeah. Uh, that died as well. And it, it's, it's so far been a, been a pretty good year for us. These kind of big top-line items that we were really concerned about you know, fail, have failed to make it through halfway through the session. And so that, that's, that's a good sign. And I, I think there's still some, and we'll talk about other bills that are, still, that are still alive that we should be concerned about, but I think taxpayers can, can breathe a little easier this year than maybe they have in previous years. How should the taxpayers uh, be concerned with this uh, recall election? Yeah, so, well, I mean, they're, they're playing games as they always do, right? Um, a, a couple of years ago, they changed the, the rules of the recall elections because at that point, uh, Senator Josh Newman was being recalled down in Orange County for, uh, for his vote on the gas tax. There was a big recall attempt there, and he was ultimately recalled. But they changed the rules to extend the amount of time uh, for, the, for the recall process to give him more time to raise money, get a campaign going, those sorts of things. And it's funny because now that the governor's on the receiving end of a recall. They once again changed the rules to shorten the amount of time <laughs> because, uh, because they think that the governor's in a pretty good spot and they don't want to give the opposition time to raise money, get the message out, you know, to get him recalled. So we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, we, we don't, I, I think t today, well, the day, the day of the airing, of, or the day of the recording of this program, uh, the number of petitions was, was verified. Um, so it looks like we will, in fact, have a recall. We were still waiting on... on they had, I think, what, 30 days to remove their names from the recall, and I think some, some 40 people did something like that. It was a very small number, so uh, the people that signed the recall are committed. And it's looking like we'll have a recall probably sometime in September. That's what we're guessing in the office. We're taking bets, but, you know, we don't have an exact date yet. The, uh, our taxpayer group think that one the most important thing is our, is our Constitution. Yes, sir. And... and uh, the, uh, there's been several speakers that we've uh, we've heard talk about all the different um, violations of, of the taxpayer and voting rights mm -hmm. that was uh, that uh, Newsom was responsible for. But the bottom line was he changed what would be a recommendation on this uh, virus thing to an order. Mm -hmm not a recommendation. Well, when you do that, you change your former government. The, uh, our Constitution provides that it's the legislature that makes the laws, not, not the executive. And also, the legislator can't make any law it wants to. It has to conform to the Constitution. Same thing with the courts. The courts cannot make California a dictatorship. And, and the governor cannot make California a dictatorship. But he attempted to do so with these orders. Fortunately, uh, I think there's no law enforcement that would stand behind those orders. And because if they did, they'd also be violating their rights to defend the Constitution. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, and you know, and many, yeah, I know that many sheriff's departments or across the states that they, you know, they simply wouldn't enforce these laws. And you know, and I, and I think, I think uh, even even folks in his own party are getting a little tired of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when he announced that uh, the, the mask orders and those sorts of things would be lifted, he also said that he wasn't going to give up the emergency powers, right? He was going to keep the emergency powers. He going. never had them. Well, he, you know, his emergency powers that he claims he has, okay. um, that he said he was going to keep them going, right? And, and 
it seems like even uh, the, the Republicans in the legislature are obviously displeased about that. But even, even some Democrats have kind of, you know, pulled on him saying that we you, you need to give us a date about when crisis is over. Yeah, when when is this over? Because you know we, we gave you we, we gave you these powers to deal with the crisis. When is the crisis over? What are our metrics for the crisis being over? And when are you going to give up these powers? And so far we have yet to, to hear a date, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I, I kind of agree that the main focus on the recall is is uh, uh, not honoring the oath of office and supporting the Constitution. That's the main, most important thing. Because uh, by changing our form of government, uh, he hurts all the people. Now, we got uh, another item here, Prop 19. I know that was uh, uh, that was a, a little bit of controversy with realtors, and with some other ones. Tell us about that one. It's it's probably the number one thing we've gotten calls about since the November election. It's clearly the thing that our members are most concerned about. And you know, Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association is a membership organization, so we're responsible to them. So that's certainly kind of our. What is Prop 19? Top line item. Yeah. So Prop 19. What Prop 19 was? Uh, it. It was on the ballot in November, and it did three things. And and two of the things got a lot of airtime, and one of the th one of the items didn't. And that's kind of the issue that we're most upset about. So, one thing is it allowed portability for folks over the age of 55, disabled, uh, fire victims, to take their Prop 13 and move three times. Previously, you could only do it once. Now you can do it three times. We have no problem with that. The the another item was that um, was designating some money to wildland fire. Um, work, you know, to, to clear to clear brush and those sorts of things. Don't have a problem with that. The middle part that they didn't say much about was changes to inheritance and when children inherit property from their parents. Previously when you inherited a primary home from your parent, you kept the prop you kept prop thirteen. Right. You kept your prop thirteen value. Um, now you have the child has to move into the property Claim it as their primary residence within one year to get that. Otherwise, it'll be reassessed to market value, and that just that just doesn't make sense with the way the world works now. I mean, you know, ki kids move to where there's jobs, and where their job is may not be where their family home is, but they want to keep their family home, and now they're looking at a potential sizable tax hike simply from inheriting their home. And to us, it's nothing more than an inheritance tax by by another name. Right. And, uh, and it seems like a, a lot of the folks that we're talking to are really concerned about it feel the same way. And, you know, another item that kind of gets lost is that Prop 58 and 193, which were the laws that were changed by Prop 19, they also allowed up to a million dollars in other property to be inherited without reassessment. So that, you know, that could have been a second home, it could have been a rental property, it could have been a small business. That went away under Prop 19. So everything that isn't the family home or a farm or a family farm will be reassessed to market value upon inheritance. And the family home will be reassessed unless you move into it with a year and claim it as your primary residence. It's just it's just a tremendous burden for folks and it you know, and it could it could cost a lot of people their family homes that they want to keep and cherish and pass on. I wonder if there's uh, an effort to correct that. Well, you You'd be surprised. There is. We're working on an effort to correct that. Uh, we, we had a we were working on we worked on a couple of bills in the legislature. Um, one was SB six six eight. That was a bill simply to delay the implementation date of this intergenerational transfer, the inheritance part of Prop nineteen. That failed to get out of committee. The the uh, the, the party in power didn't like it. Um, but we have another bill, which is Assembly Constitutional Amendment nine, 
that would simply repeal that part of Prop 19 and restore it back to the way it was under Prop 58 and 193. That'd be better. That's, that's what we're putting all of our chips in now, and that's what we're working on. We're working with uh, Kevin Kiley out of Rockland on that. He's carrying that for us, and we're, we're going to push very hard on that in the legislature. And, and you know, if they, don't, if they don't, again, don't see our way, then we might, then we're very likely to consider at least beginning the process of a ballot initiative. I think Kevin also has uh, launched some lawsuits against Newsom. Very, quite a few, yes. He, he, is, he is very vocal on the lockdowns um, and, and the recall effort, and he's, he, he's, he's a good one. Yeah. Um, okay, the next uh, item, uh, we have uh, SB 323, uh, which removes protections for taxpayer. How does that work? So, so what SB 323 would do, um, would it's called a validation action. So basically what, when a, a fee is put on your water bill, um, a taxpayer who thinks that that fee is in, a, in violation of Prop 218 can okay. sue in court for what they call validation action, basically a judge saying whether or not this fee is valid under state law. What this bill would do would essentially put a 120-day shot clock on your right as a taxpayer under Prop 218 to sue about illegal fees. And the problem, and the, one of the big problems we have about it is the way it's written is that that clock, that 120-day clock would begin at a motion. And a motion, you know, a motion to start the process, by the time a fee increase gets on someone's water bill, oftentimes that's the first time people notice that, they've, that there's been a fee increase right. well past that 120 days. And they'll have absolutely no recourse after that 120 days if this fee was passed illegally, correctly or not. I mean, if, if you, you won't know because you won't be able to take it to court about it. And, and you'll have to basically live with a, potential, a potentially illegal fee for five years until it's reassessed because they, they have to come up for um, rehearings every five years. But once validated, you're stuck with it for five what, years. What's the status of that bill? It passed the Senate, and it's working its way through the Assembly now, where we are fighting it every step of the way. But uh, it's not looking good. So we're going to keep on it, though. Which... Um it's one, it's one of those bad bills that's still around that we have to worry about, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> There's still a couple. Uh, which House is more friendly to the taxpayer, the Senate or the Assembly? That's or, tough or, to say. Or is it a question? That's tough to say, because well, it takes them both to get these things through, right? And they pass both. Um, you know, I would say on, you know, I sit on these bills, obviously, the bills that we've taken a position on, we've taken a position on SB 323, we're opposed, obviously. Um, I sit in all those hearings and I listen to all the committees and I and, and my um, my gut tells me that the assembly is is a bit more because they seem to ask I, I would say I would say that that the that the, the Republicans are typically uh, are typically good either way but um, in both houses but but the but I would I would say you hear you hear more criticism on these things from the Democrats in the assembly than you do in the Senate that they're that they're more concerned about about the effects on the taxpayer because I think that they hear it more from the taxpayer than maybe they do in the Senate. The Senate has you know the districts are much bigger in the Senate than they are the Assembly, and so a couple votes can make a difference. So I think they're certainly more concerned when people speak up. Now another um, bill uh, or it's a uh, Senate uh, uh, SCA one. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it would change the referendums. How, how does that one work? So this this is 
it's kind of confusing. It's kind of hard to explain because it confuses me even a bit. Um, but basically what it would do is on a referendum it would make yes, no, and no, yes. And so what do I mean by that? I'll, t I'll do an example. Um, so typically when you vote on a referendum, yes means put the law into effect, no means stop the law, right? Very simple. The way this would change would, it would say, so for example, let's say um, the bail bonds measure that was on the ballot last year, because I, I think that's kind of what brought this, this bill about, um, because the, the gentleman, the, the, the senator who uh, passed that is also the senator who is pushing this bill. Um, so voters were asked, yes would change the bail bonds process. Uh, they, the, the state senate, well, both houses, voted to abolish our, our state bail system. I don't know if you recall, but the, the cash bail system, they, they voted to get rid of it. And then bail bonds companies put that measure on the ballot and asked voters, do you really want to get rid of cash bail in the state of California? Um, and a yes vote meant, yes, we do want to replace the cash bail system with this new system, which was an algorithm that assessed risk and those sorts of things. Or no, do you want to keep it the way it is? Yeah. So that's how, that's how that worked last year. If SB1, as, I'm sorry, if uh, Senate, Constitution, Senate Constitutional Amendment 1 passed, the way that would be written would be, if you voted yes, you, you're saying yes, no, I want to, to get rid of, I want to keep it the way it is. No, yes, I want to keep, I, I, want, I want to get rid of cash bail. It doesn't make sense, right? I see the look on your face. You don't get it. I don't get it either. It's kind of amazing to me that, that it's, it's being taken seriously. But it, 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 it would just completely, it would flip the meaning of yes and no on referendums. What's the status of that bill? It has its first hearing next week. So it's a new one that's, that started moving that we're concerned about. And, you know, and, it, and I think it'll confuse people because a lot of times, you know, if people are, are unaware of what a bill does or it's too, or the, you know, the, the ballot language is too complicated, they don't get it, they, they, they vote no. And they vote no because they don't want it to go into effect. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't like it. No, I don't want it to go into effect. But under this, when you vote no, you're actually voting yes for it to go into effect. Um, is, there, is there an explanation of this on the Howard Jarvis website? There isn't, um, but I have a letter that I, I wrote and sent today that I'm happy to share with anyone who would like to read it, kind of explaining the process. You can also, you can read about the bill for yourself on the, the state legislative website. It's Senate Constitutional Amendment 1. Um, that's their explanation for it. but. It, I think it's pretty straightforward what it does. It's, 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 like I said, it's difficult to explain because it just, it, it fundamentally alters the meaning of yes and no on referendums. And I, and I, I can't help but think it's purposely meant to be confusing. Yeah. Because it's supposed to trick you into voting for things you otherwise would not have voted for. Well, there's a chance it won't pass, but then there's a chance that it would. Well, it's a state constitutional amendment, so it would have to go to the ballot. The voters would have to vote for it. Any, any, any constitutional amendment proposed by the legislature, whether an ACA or an SCA, has to go to the voters. So in the ballot argument against that, I assume that uh, Howard Jarvis would be writing that, maybe. <laughs> if no one else will, we certainly will. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know. uh, then then uh, the people can get a clear picture yes, yes. of what it is. Well, yeah. That's cool. It's, like yeah. I said, it's, it's difficult to wrap your head around. Like I said, I don't even completely understand it because I, I, I can't believe that what I'm reading 
is what it actually says, right? But I pass it around a couple of our of, of the folks in our office. They say, no, you're right. You're understanding correctly. And I just said, I can't believe that this is what they're trying to do. You know, so uh, so look, so check it for yourself. Um, if if I, I if I've confused you, uh, it's it's there in, in black and white on the state legislative website. And you know, and, and feel free to email me um, if you if you'd like to read our letter. I also post them on our on my Twitter, so you can read our letters on my Twitter account as well. So, um, would uh, would uh, John Coppell discuss that on his on the website? He's thinking about writing a column about it. We so uh, he actually he he briefly talked about it in a in his in a column two weeks ago about um, how the how the state how the one party state was changing um, some of the the. Uh, the, the election rules to, to favor incumbents. I don't know if you read it. It was two, three weeks ago. And he briefly mentioned um, SCA 1. So there, there is a description there that, we, uh, that may make a little bit more sense because we, we massaged that to make, try to make it make as much sense as possible. Now, on the, uh, what is the uh, Howard Jarvis website? It's, it's pretty simple. It's hjta.org, www.hjta.org. H-J-T-A.org. Yep. Did you have your pencil? <laughs> okay. Now, <clears throat> uh, the Howard Jarvis uh, has been doing some good, and we try. <laughs> what, uh, what's a typical example of, of how much money you've saved the, the property owners uh, over over the time that you've been in business? Not personally, but I mean. <laughs> Oh, oh gosh, we have that number, and I, I don't remember it off the top of my head. I'm sorry, but it's it's on our website. Um, it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars in property taxes, certainly. Um, you know, and and then, you know, and then untold millions on other taxes that we've that we've stopped over the years. I mean, we don't we don't keep a account, but we, we try our best to save the taxpayers as much as possible. I mean, that's what we're in business to do to to, yeah. to help the taxpayer. We're a taxpayer organization, just like yours, you know. I heard it's it's more than six thousand a year. Yeah. Per person, per taxpayer. Yeah, and property taxes. Yeah. yeah. Um, now I understand that uh, the there's a petition mm -hmm. that people can sign that is really almost like a uh, a um, a, a declaration of uh, what. They think is important, and would you want to share that with our with our listeners and, sure. and viewers? I have it right here. Do you want me to read it? Yeah. Okay. The the Declaration of Taxpayer Rights. We, the people of the state of California, declare that all taxpayers are endowed with certain unalienable rights. That among these are the right to limited taxation, the right to vote on tax increases, and the right of economical, equitable, and efficient use of taxpayer dollars. I think it'd be no one we could find that could disagree with that. It'd be hard to disagree. Unless you work for the government. <laughs> Fair. Although, although we have a lot of members of, how, of the tax of our association that are government employees. I got a call from a government employee just today who doesn't like tax increases. Now, the, uh, this particular uh, petition has been signed by 79,873 people. That's a lot of souls. So, as a viewer, if you'd like to sign this petition, uh, go to hjta.org. Is that right? Yes. And you'll be able to download that 
and sign it. And also, you can be put on a mailing list for updates to help protect your property rights. Uh, now, uh, what are some of the things you see coming ahead? We have five minutes on the program, and maybe we can get an idea of what we can see uh, happening down the road. Well, I'd say another another big bill that's still out there that we didn't mention was, was Assembly Constitutional Amendment 1. And that's, um, that's a perennial tax increase attempt that comes every year. I think it's this is the fourth or fifth year that we've seen it. And we beat it back every single time. But basically what it does is it would lower the two-thirds threshold for tax increases on certain projects. In this case, it would be infrastructure and affordable housing, I believe. But in any case, it's always the camel's nose under the tent. You know, they pick a favorable project to get you to agree. They did this with education 10, 15 years ago, and now every every bond passes for education, and and and, and yet they keep telling us the schools are bad, but we keep passing the bonds. And but they but they lowered the threshold for schools a number of years ago, and now those all pass. They're trying to do it again. They're trying to do it with the infrastructure bill, with infrastructure, and affordable housing. Um, we think it's the camel's nose under the tent. It's another. It's just another attack on Prop 13 and 218. Why are schools doing so bad? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I I can't tell you. Uh, you know, the number of bond bonds. Does it relate to bonds some way? No, I don't think it does. Because I mean, the bonds pass, right? The, the bonds pass in overwhelming and over, overwhelming numbers. Uh, school bonds, they have something like an 80-90% success rate. Um, so they're passing, the schools are getting the money, but it just never seems to be enough, and I'm at a loss to tell you why. Um, I guess you'd have to ask them. Well, maybe parents need school choice. That wouldn't hurt. Then the schools would be in competition with each other uh, on the basis of performance. Mm -hmm. That makes, seems to make sense. Yes. What else could be done if not that? Well, I think can the legislature hire better teachers or Well, the legislature can't, but uh, I you know, I think I think school choice is probably one of the bigger issues, you know, that I think could really help because, you know, studies show that even charter schools, you know, char when charter schools enter a school district, uh, quality quality at the the, pri the public schools rises because there's competition. They're concerned about the competition from the charter schools, and so the mar the market goes into action, and they improve the quality of their product, right? And, and so I, I just think it, it seems just fundamentally obvious to me that giving parents the right to choose the school that best fits their children should be a fundamental right, and you know, and so it seems like school choice is probably the best solution because when you have school choice, you'll have greater demand for uh, quality, and and then also they'll care about where their dollars are being spent because. That means that uh, parents should be talking to their school board members, yes, and school or trustees, and uh, try to get a, a consensus going to make some fundamental changes. Yeah, this, this, the, our state isn't great on school choice, but we do have charter schools, and so uh, it's important for, uh, for us to probably get, get as many charter schools as we can because they, they really do help. I mean, now, when you were the, you were uh, with the newspaper, we yes. have a minute left. Okay. When you were with the newspaper, what was the hottest item that you ran across? 
The hottest item that I ran across, well, I mean, in California, I would say that water is probably one of the biggest, hottest issues, especially in Southern California where we right. are, you know, that was always a hot issue. It always, a lot of fights, the money, because it, it's just a microcosm of everything that we've talked about, right? Taxes, uh, bonds, money, who gets the water, right of, right of ways, access. It, it was always a very contentious issue, and it still is. Why don't we have enough reservoirs? Because they won't build them. Oh. <laughs> hey, maybe you found a solution. Yeah. We need more reservoirs. I, I would say that that's the case, yeah. <laughs> more storage would, would certainly help. More dams, more storage, <laughs> not letting so much runoff into the Pacific Ocean. Well, I, I think uh, in our half hour, we solved a lot of the problems in California. And Scott, it's so good to have you with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for watching. See you next time. <laughs>